0: Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing today? Good. Good to see you. You know, this is going to be a habit, me coming back here every month or two. And you know, I noticed this morning that I've been here often enough that I now know where people sit. You know, it's just, isn't it funny? We always sit in the same place. Charles is always back there. Holly is always right there. That's your pew. Leith is always right there. I'm always right here. You know? So uh, we've got it sorted out. It's wonderful to be with you again today. I always am grateful for this opportunity to preach during, during Lent. Not, not many places want a guest preacher during Lent, and it's a blessing have this opportunity. All of the passages today deal with the challenging issue of law and judgment and salvation. I want to talk about that intersection this morning and I need to start by saying that um, it's impossible in the context of a Sunday morning sermon to exhaust that issue. If you leave this morning feeling that there was a a viewpoint lacking, a perspective missing, some, some way of seeing these passages or thinking about law and grace and mercy that was overlooked, you're probably right. I uh, can't cover it all right now. I hope this will be a stimulus to thinking uh, and not the culmination of any thought. When I was uh, actively serving as a pastor in the United Methodist Church, uh, one of the joys that I had was being a part of the ordination process for people who were coming out of seminary and coming into ministry in the United Methodist Church. One of the folks that I had the good fortune to be a mentor for, whose name was uh, Philip, and Philip was a dynamic young man and has gone on to be ordained and continues to preach and teach in the United Methodist Church. A part of the discipline of interviewing and reflection and learning and growth included having potential ordinands submit sermons periodically to the uh, committees that would be evaluating them and and uh, sure enough Phil uh, under my working with me he submitted a sermon uh, and gave me a copy of it as well so that uh, I could would know what they were talking about in their reflections. And in the context of that sermon, he referred repeatedly to the Ten Commandments which we read this morning as the ten suggestions that the Bible has for good living. Needless to say, some of the other clergy on the committee that read this sermon had some questions about that. They weren't quite sure whether, you know, it was appropriate to look at the Decalogue as we read it this morning and see it simply as the ten suggestions for Christian living. But Phil was adamant in sticking with the premise of his sermon, and that that was this, and it's what I really want to talk about this morning, that fundamentally, as Christians, we are not people of the law anymore. We are not people of the law. We live by grace and mercy. The law is terribly important. It was passed down to us from the mount on high through the hands of Moses. It lives in our lives and in our worship and in our liturgy and hopefully in our daily living. And it is not the way to salvation. They are suggestions for living that are trumped by grace and mercy. And Philip was determined to stand by that theology. I stood with him, and I stand by it today. Now, the Apostle Paul knew a thing or two about the law and speaks eloquently in a number of his epistles about the relationship between law, grace, and mercy. Paul was a student of the law. He understood the Jewish law. He also understood that as a Roman citizen, he had access to certain protections of the law, and that is why when he was under charges and arrested, that he appealed to the Roman courts rather than to allow his crimes to be dealt with in a local jurisdiction because he thought he would have better chances in the Roman courts, which were more enlightened. And so he appealed to Rome and eventually went there. And the book of Romans was actually written by Paul while he is in jail, awaiting trial on the charges. So he knows about law. He's caught up in it. He understands its blessings and its shortcomings. But ultimately, Paul preaches love and grace because he knows that is better than anything else. In the book of Romans, Paul writes, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then, he says, should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. And then in Romans 7, he goes on, but now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we are slaves not under the old written code, but to a new life in the Spirit. Now Paul's explication of the relationship that we all have with the law is complicated. And I suggest sometime that if you want to come to grips with it, it's a good idea to sit down and read the letter to the Romans along with a good commentary in order to kind of pull apart what it is that Paul is having to say to us. But I'm going to try a very brief summary. Paul is convinced that the law has tremendous virtue. And it calls us to understand that law. He says the law is that which makes sin obvious. We would not know what sin was if it wasn't for the law. It shines a light on sinfulness in the world in which we live. But Paul says... But never, no level of obedience to the law will ever allow you to achieve salvation. That dogged, determined obedience to the law simply makes you a slave to the law. And you can never be good enough day in and day out to achieve salvation. But, where law fails grace and mercy triumph and we are saved by grace through faith where the law fails us how would i do okay <laughs> got to check it out with the theological experts back there <laughs> when you when you got a bishop on the dais you need to be more careful Now, I want to say a few words in favor of laws in case you think I, I'm a scofflaw and you know want to leave all this behind. I was the executive director of a homeless shelter for homeless families. Uh, it was a pretty large facility. We had a resident population of 120 to 130. That meant usually 25 to 30 families. And believe you me, we we had rules. We could not have possibly managed that little society without an abundance of rules and laws and enforce them. It would have been chaos without that. Human society is civil because it's based in law. It's critical. But I also told my staff I expect you to break these laws when you believe doing so serves the law of love and grace. But I do expect you to know what you're doing. If you break one of these laws, if you bend one of these rules, you better be prepared to come into my office and tell me why and have a good, clear, compelling, and coherent statement about what greater good is being served. Now, I remember uh, a trip to the DMV. Anybody got memories of trips to the DMV? (laughs) Probably not something you want to think about on a Sunday morning, right? Long time ago, back in the days when the top speed limit was 55 because we were trying to save gas and energy and all that, remember those days? I, I went into the DMV. And there on the wall, over this, was this words, 55 miles per hour. It's not just a good idea, it's the law. (laughs) And I remember standing there thinking, you know, they got that exactly backwards. That's not our Christian orientation to the law. What needed to be up on the wall was 55 miles per hour. It's not just the law. It's a good idea. Right? Because the law is always being put to the test of righteousness. That's the foundation of our modern belief In the value of civil disobedience, the law is always being put to the test of righteousness. Is it good? Does it make sense? Does it preserve civil society? Does it create justice? Does it serve righteousness? Is it a good idea? You can't be good enough. Being right isn't enough. We are called to more. I remember a short film that I saw many years ago again. Um, It begins with a well-dressed man driving a sports car. It's a beautiful day. The top is down. He comes up to an intersection. as a truck apparently stalled at the intersection. He pulls out to go around the truck, and just as he gets even with the truck, he realizes the truck is stopped because there's this small girl crossing in the crosswalk. He slams on the brakes, but it's too late. He hits her, throws her into the middle of the intersection. She survives, but she is terribly injured. Spends weeks and weeks and weeks in the hospital. And this man is racked with guilt. But they said, the law said, this was just an accident. He was not going beyond the speed limit. In fact, he had slowed down. He had broken no law. He was legally not responsible for this accident. He was not responsible for her injuries. But he could not let go of it. Memories of his car plowing into this young girl filled his mind, whatever he was doing. He couldn't relax. tried to play tennis with some friends and was so distracted he couldn't, couldn't manage it went out on a date with a friend and was just, all he could do was recite tales of this, of this horrible event. Finally, in a state where he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he went to his doctor and he said I need some medication, I need something that will help me sleep, I can't go on like this. The doctor said to him, maybe it would be a good idea if you went to the hospital and visited this young girl and asked her forgiveness. And he said, I don't have to be forgiven. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm legally not responsible for this. The doctor said, well then, legally, you should be able to sleep. (laughs) Eventually, he goes, visits with her, she welcomes him and forgives him and he's able to get his life back on track it's not enough to be right simply the fact that it's legal is not adequate the fact that you've obeyed the law is not good enough the truth is that we in this room all of us have a common bond a critical common bond, the most significant common bond that we can possibly have. It's the one thing that truly binds us together as people, that creates a loving, level playing field for every one of us in this space. You know what that is? We have all failed. Every single one of us has failed. In some way. Now, I certainly have had painful failures in my life, you know, and I'm not going to tell you about a single one of them. (laughs) I am way too embarrassed, too guilty, and too ashamed of the mistakes that I have made to trot them out here I'd terrified at what you might think of me if you knew the things that I have done I'm not kidding you See and I think you all are like that too You come here with painful histories friendships that you've destroyed addictions lies you've told things you've stolen people you've degraded. I don't know. I don't. You know. All that matters is that you know. That's what we all have in common. And believe me, none of you are worse than the people sitting next to you. None of you are better than the people sitting next to you. We are all the same. We knew what the laws were. And we've all fallen short. Remember the story where Jesus steps in at the point where the woman is taken in adultery? I got a little variation on that. You know, Jesus is up there. He goes up to her and he writes in the sand and, you know, all the people are standing at bay and he says, let let he or she who is without sin throw the first stone. And a rock goes whizzing by Jesus' head and catches her right in the back of the neck. Jesus says, Mother, would you please cut that out? But none of us are in that category. We are not sinless. And there is no devotion to law that is going to wash away that guilt and that shame. You can't be good enough. I can't be good enough. We live by grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you do deserve. Okay, did you get that? Grace is getting what you don't deserve, while mercy is not getting what you do deserve. In other words, grace is when a total stranger is walking down the street and sees that the parking meter beside your car has expired and puts a dollar and change in there. You didn't do anything to deserve that. That was a free gift, grace. Somebody's just looking out for you. Mercy, on the other hand, is when you were going 75 in a 45 zone and you got a ticket for it and the judge says, you're free to go. I'm sure you won't do that again. That's mercy. We live by grace and mercy, not by obedience to the law. And that's why my friend Phil went out on a limb and said, those are the 10 suggestions. They're important. We expect you to live by those, and they will not save you. They will not make you right. They will not make you good. Only God's grace and mercy will do that. John Newton lived in the 1700s, in the late 1700s. He had been um, pressed into service in the British Royal Navy, led a thoroughly undistinguished career as a seaman in the British Royal Navy. When he got out, the only thing he knew to do to make a living was at sea, and he, he uh, began to ply the slave trade up and down the coast between Africa and British ports. Got to the point where he was a captain of a slave ship, buying slaves in Africa, transporting them to... Britain, throwing overboard the bodies of those that died en route. But he did have a conscience, and it gnawed at him. After eight, ten years of this kind of work, he couldn't do it anymore. Left the slave trade, began to study a little theology, began to work against the slave trade, but was convinced that his life, that he had so much blood on his hands that he was beyond the pale of salvation, but that he could speak for others. But then even John experienced this incredible salvation where he knew that he too had been cleansed from all of this ugliness, all of this blood, all of this death. And he became an outspoken speaker and preacher to seamen on the ports of England in opposition to the slave trade. And in 1773, on New Year's Day, when he was in search of a sermon illustration for that day, he sat down and he wrote a poem Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. You've had those too, right? You have come through many dangers, toils, and snares in your own life. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace, tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. Let's sing it, Okay. through many dangers, toils, and snares. Through many dangers, to, I have already come. I have already, tis grace has brought me safe this far. Tis grace hath brought me safe and grace will lead me home. And grace will lead me.